Hey everybody, welcome to True Crime Paranormal. I'm Christy Brower and this is a true crime pop-up. You know, sometimes we just show up with these at any hour of the day or night on the weekends. Sometimes we just want to talk to you about something to do with true crime. And that is certainly the case today. Have you ever just sat and wondered, Lorena and John Bobbitt, where are they now? No, just me? Oh, well, anyway, I hope you like this question because that is my topic for this true crime pop-up. So John and Lorena Bobbitt, the whole situation with them happened in 1993. I was a junior in high school. And so although I knew about it, who didn't on the whole planet, I didn't really understand it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, RJ, thanks for joining. So, you know, of course, the whole John and Lorena Bobbitt thing was just all about the fact that she cut off his penis and threw it out in the grass. You know, there's so much more to this story that I didn't know. And there's so much more to the story now, because, you know, if you've ever wondered if time will tell or if the truth will out, let me tell you something. Yeah, that's the case. That's always the case. So let me tell you the story in case, you know, you were like, I don't know, living in Antarctica at the time or something. But it, you may not know this, but I can't imagine that you don't. So this happened on June 23rd in 1993. Lorena Bobbitt, at the time her last name now is Gallo. So she was Ecuadorian. She grew up in Venezuela. She emigrated to the United States in 1987. And she had been married to, get this, his name has always killed me, John Wayne Bobbitt for about four years when this occurred. So the long and short of it, I guess, is that at some point on the eve on the night of June 23rd, she crawled into bed with her sleeping husband and she cut off his penis with a carving knife. So it's a very short version of the story, but we'll just start there. Okay. So the biggest concern right after it happening was uh where's your husband's penis, ma'am? And uh, she didn't actually know. There was some thought that she bit it off and that she swallowed it, which, what? Oh, my God. There were also stories that she tore it off, ripped it off. Pretty sure that's not even humanly possible, at least not for, she was tiny, is tiny person. Anyway, so what they finally figure out in talking to her, because she is a basket case. Gee, I wonder why. They finally get, the police talking to her, finally get out of her that she left the house with $100, his Game Boy, and his penis. Because she just took all his favorite stuff out of the house? I do not know. But she threw it out the window of her car into a field that was across the street from a 7-Eleven gas station. So the police went looking and they did, in fact, find his penis in the field across the street from the 7-Eleven. They put it on ice and 
no shit. They put it in a hot dog box or bag. I've seen both. And it was taken to the hospital. And it was reattached to Lorena's husband, John Wayne Bobbitt. And that is when the world went crazy for Lorena Bobbitt. You all know the story. You've heard all of the crazy stuff that went on with it. So ultimately, from that episode, they were both charged criminally. So John was charged with marital sexual assault, and Lorena was charged with malicious wounding. Unfortunately, at that time, and still it's not much better, marital sexual assault was an incredibly difficult thing to prove, and you actually had to have crazy requirements like you were separated and not living together anymore because somehow that was the only way that a wife could say no to her husband, apparently. So in the prosecutorial case against him for the marital rape, frankly, they didn't have much. They didn't try very hard. One of the things about Virginia law, by the way, this happened in Virginia. And one of the things about Virginia law was that in a situation like this, they could only talk about what had happened in the relationship for the five days leading up to this event. So there was all kinds of history of domestic violence and sexual assault and Lorena had reported and told other people. They couldn't use any of that because it was more than five days prior. So it was only her word against his, which, you know, I say only as though that is not enough, but I say that only because that's the way our system tends to see it. So needless to say, he was acquitted of the marital rape case. It, um, as you can imagine, was a media circus. Um, his case was not live streamed like on court TV, um, because it was considered a sexual assault case. And so it was not live streamed on TV, but the press was everywhere. It was insane. People from other countries came to the U.S. to watch this. So then Lorena goes to court. She's charged with malicious wounding. It holds a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. Now, she is scared for many reasons. One is that she was here on a on a um on a uh and like an educational visa a student visa sorry my throat is dry gotta get something and so she's now you know divorcing him and she's afraid that if she gets a felony she won't be able to become an american citizen and that's her dream she moved here to become an american citizen she wanted you know, this was the early 90s, guys. The American dream was still an actual thing. And and immigrants from South America were actually seen as a positive thing at the time. We know now that um, in general, there are, you know, general issues with that. I'm not saying personally, I don't have any, I personally don't care if anybody immigrates here, go for it. But, you know, the the general tenor has changed a lot about immigration. Well, her defense attorney actually got off his ass and did some work. Very first person that ever did on this case, to be perfectly honest. 
the prosecutor, the police, the rest of them, they didn't do shit. What her defense attorney found was that there was all kinds of proof of the history of domestic violence in this relationship. And that's where things really changed for Lorena because there was a lot of proof that she was out of her mind with fear and that she was afraid for her life. She had reported that, that she, although, you know, waited until after he had raped her one more time to go get the knife to cut off his penis, it wasn't as though she wasn't fearful for her life. There had been lots of abuse, threats of having her deported, threats of killing her, threats of taking her legal papers so that she couldn't prove, you know, her right to be in the country, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, it was all there. Her defense attorney um, proved it over and over and over and over again that she was a battered woman. Here's what their defense was. Their defense was temporary insanity due to severe abuse. Now, you may or may not know that temporary insanity is uh, not a very common defense. It's very difficult to, to prove, particularly because you know, sometimes there's an insanity defense. Not all states have them. We don't here in Idaho. That's more if someone is significantly mentally ill over, a, you know, over a long period of documented time. This is more like I was so upset and scared I did something crazy in the moment. And that was her defense, that she was not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. And she won her case. She was, they say it acquitted, but she wasn't really acquitted. She was found not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. Now, what that did not mean was she was just immediately out on the streets like it was when John Wayne Bobbitt was acquitted of marital rape. He was just free to go. She was sent to a state psychiatric hospital where she had to spend 45 days being assessed. And really beginning to get some help because she had been through four years of hell in this relationship. She'd been through some tremendous domestic violence. So at the end of the 45 days, what they can do is they can determine, does a person need to be housed long term in a hospital? Do they need treatment before they can be released or can they be released? They released her and didn't feel that she you know, that this was a very temporary event, that she wasn't a risk to anybody else. And, you know, that she, the, the community was safe from her, basically. What I find really interesting, because, okay, this happened a long freaking time ago, you guys, almost 30 years ago. You know, you kind of forget, I don't know if you do, but I do, I sort of forget about cases like this and people like this. And 30 years is a long time. How did their, how have their lives played out? How have their convictions, not convictions, you know, their relationship, how did all of this shake out after all of the really salacious stuff, which was their trials, actually occur? I think, yeah, time will tell. The truth will out, my friends. Let me tell you a little bit about where they're at now. First of all, they did divorce, obviously. And Lorena was um, allowed to stay here in the U.S. and she did become an American citizen. And 
their lives could not be more different if they tried. So John Wayne Bobbitt has been married and divorced several times. He was convicted of misdemeanor domestic battery against an ex-girlfriend in 1994, charged with battery against his third wife several times, and was also found guilty of harassing another ex-girlfriend in 1999. He also pled guilty to grand larceny of $140,000 worth of clothes. <laughs> he was stealing clothes and then returning them to other branches of the same clothing chain. And he managed to do that through $140,000 worth of clothes before he got found out. So as you can see, you know, his acquittal did not exactly send him in a great direction, nor did it prove in any way that he was not a batterer because he was, he's been convicted of domestic battery several times since the situation with Lorena. He did have a brief adult film career and at one point was known as Frankenpenis, which, okay. Um, he worked for a while at the Bunny Ranch in Nevada. That didn't go so well. He was always in trouble. Um, it turns out he really couldn't hold much of a job. He never really did through his marriage to Lorena. She was the one that supported them. He also did a brief stint as a knife thrower in the Jim Rose Circus, worked some construction jobs, and then did all kinds of crazy stunts and publicity stuff, judged beauty contests and all kinds of other crazy things um, because he really used his notoriety um, to support himself for a long time. So he had an agent and he was kind of out there in the world as John Wayne Bobbitt, the guy whose penis survived. I don't know, sort of a Harry Potter thing, but not quite. Um, <laughs> in 1996, he had a very experimental and very unsuccessful penis enlargement surgery that pretty much just destroyed his porn career, I guess, uh, because things did not go well with that surgery. He did later have to have it reversed. So I guess having damage to his penis once wasn't enough for him. I don't know. But he did definitely like stand out in the world and use this experience of being a rapist of his wife and serial batterer as a way to become famous-ish. We're talking C-list celebrity. Um, it didn't last forever. People got tired of it, you know. People got tired of all of the story and moved on from him. He is apparently now living on disability after he broke his neck in a car accident in 2014. And I don't know, you know, still kind of trying to live on the edge of notoriety. He's lived in Nevada and around Las Vegas quite a lot because he, well, he got way into, um, he was on Howard Stern a whole bunch, which, ugh, um, you know, kind of just got way into that 
sort of shock jock b-list celebrity stuff for a long time um hasn't been uh recently as far as i know although i'm pretty sure he'd take the gig if someone offered it now okay so lorena who now goes by gallo uh has committed her life to working on the prevention of domestic violence she works with victims of domestic violence and she uses her name and her platform to further um you know awareness around domestic violence and uh you know that's her big passion you know she experienced it firsthand and got out in a tremendously terrible way and she has now worked to help people better understand and identify it and to actually directly help people who have been experiencing domestic violence. She has been married for more than 20 years and she ra has raised a family with him. She stayed out of the spotlight um, almost completely. She's had a few interviews, but nothing major. She didn't really um, want to do that, you know, didn't really see herself as a celebrity she saw herself as a victim and she got herself well and she went out into the world to try to make the world better. And her ex-husband has definitely proven exactly who he was then. He is that same person now. So you may or may not have seen it, but there is a, a documentary called Lorena and it is on Amazon Prime, and it is very worth watching. There's a lot of information in there about both cases, and she does take advantage of the platform to help further work in domestic violence, which I thought was really cool. And I really appreciate, like, you, if you ever questioned who was telling the truth in this situation, I think watching their lives unfold for nearly 30 years since what happened will answer that question for you. Just a bizarre look back, I think, but a good one. I th I always feel like it's important to go back and look at situations like that that burned out in the you know in the limelight so quickly. What really happened after the fact, you know? And what really happened after the fact is that Lorena Bobbitt, now Lorena Gallo, turned out to be a good person who went on to help people. And John Wayne Bobbitt turned out to continue to be the same kind of batterer we all knew he was, as well as criminal. So just an interesting little look back on the whole thing. You know, sometimes I like to look at these things that happened when I was younger. You know, I wasn't a true crime podcaster in 1993. I didn't really understand what I was looking at or what any of it meant then makes way more sense to me now. And having worked as a domestic violence advocate myself, I feel like that's really, really important as well to understand what the what the dynamics were and what, the, what was happening leading up to what she did and why she did what she did and why she felt that very afraid. Because, you know, at the time, it was like this was the worst offense anyone could have ever committed ever. You know, the marital rape part, ugh, whatever, but you cut off a man's penis. That's the most important thing that ever happened to him in his whole life, you know? Anyway, 
as we are covering uh, MMIW cases and, you know, other cases about violence against women, I felt like this was a very important one to revisit and to remember that the Lorena Bobbitt story is truly a story of domestic violence. And although she did commit a crime, she did it to save her own life. And, uh, you know, we need to remember when you look back at a situation like that and realize how incredibly desperate she was and how alone she felt to do the thing that she did. I just hope that nobody ever feels that way ever again. And I know that the work that we're doing in domestic violence isn't enough and we haven't solved it all by any means, but it is a little bit better now than then. But, you know, thanks in part to Lorena Bobbitt Gallo herself. So thanks for joining me. That is tonight's true crime pop-up. Just a, a little look back in time about how nearly 30 years can really tell the tale. So thanks so much for joining me. You know it. This is True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Have a great night, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.